Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are glad you're here. If this is your first day, we'd love to chance to meet you. You can meet us in the information desk at the back after the services. We'd love the chance to get to know you. If you haven't been with us over the past several weeks, throughout the month of August, we've been in a family series, and we've talked about patience and kindness. Last week was about self-control, and today we're going to talk about gentleness. And if you recognize those, if you grew up in church at all, those are all fruits of the Spirit. So regardless of your family status, how many kids you have at home or don't have kids or married or divorced or whatever your status is, they apply to all of us. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you to work on those specific issues or uh, qualities in your life. They're all possible. And so I hope that's been an encouragement. The other thing we've been doing as a church is we did a 30-day digital detox. And just to give you some context for that, if, if you've been a part of it, great. We've had some great stories of people that gave up apps or TV or whatever it was. Um, just a word of warning, uh, coming back in, you don't need to full send like every uh, digital thing that you have. Like go back to it. That'll be too much. So ease your way back into it and maybe have a conversation this week about what maybe you'd take away. When I did this back in May to try it before we ever thought about bringing it to the church, uh, I ended up not installing it, one app in particular because it was just leading me down a road of negativity. And so maybe that's for you in your life as well. But we uh, we appreciate you playing along. I know some of you have and, and some of you haven't but it's been great to, to be a part of that. <clears throat> in 1984, Jack LaLanne, at the age of 70, decided he was going to celebrate his 70th birthday by swimming through San Francisco Bay, and he would have uh, 70 boats behind him full of people. And this was at 70. And I remember reading about this and thinking, man, I could do that. And uh, I asked my wife, she said I could not do that. Um, <laughs> And that's the problem, right? We see great feats. If you don't know who Jack is, Jack was kind of like the original influencer. He uh, recognized that health and fitness were important. Jack worked out until he died at 96. And the day before he died of lung failure, he did his whole workout. So the guy was just a beast of a, of a man. And he decided he was going to celebrate his birthday this way. Well, it could be because I'm a guy or it could be arrogance or pride, probably all of the above. I look at that and go, I could probably, I could probably do that. But I, I really wouldn't because I hate being cold and San Francisco Bay is always about 60 degrees. I also am, am an okay swimmer, but probably not enough to haul that many people behind me. But why is it that we do that? Why is it that we look at something like that and we say, oh, I could do that? Or maybe it's not this. Maybe you're like, I don't like swimming. I'd never try that. But maybe you see somebody do something really creative. Or you see somebody do something that was um, super important in somebody's life and you go, I could do that. But yet, when it comes to spiritual matters, I hear so many of us so many times say, well, I could never be a patient person. I could never be a kind person. I could never be like so-and-so out of the Bible. I could never be like so-and-so at church who prays so often. Why is it on those physical things and the things that we really have no business doing, we were like, oh, I could do that. But yet on the spiritual things, we discount what God could do through us. The reality is the same power that was available to the people in the Bible is the same power that's available to you today. And so, yes, it's absolutely true. And so a lot of times we, we walk around with a defeated spiritual mindset already before we ever get started. We say things like this, I'm not a patient person. 
or I'm just an honest person, or I'm an introvert, or I'm an extrovert, or you don't understand my family, and that's the reason I am the way that I am. And those all may indeed be true. But I want to encourage you today that you have the capacity, if you're a follower of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a life that's full of patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control and love. And the problem is, the reality for those of us who have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ is that the reason that we're probably so frustrated with the way that we live is that we've confused effort and reliance. We've thought if we just try harder in a world that says if you just work out long enough, you'll be able to swim with 70 boats attached to you. And we've confused that into our spiritual life. And in reality, for our spiritual life, it's it's not an effort issue. You can't will yourself into more gentleness. But if you'll rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, he will transform your life to be able to do things that you never thought possible. So the great news is, is even if you're not a gentle person, and I'm probably the least gentle person on staff, which is the irony of me giving a message about gentleness today, is that it's all possible for every single one of you here. And that's the great news that we have today. The other thing that's interesting is it seems like family is the final frontier of our spiritual development. It's so easy to be patient or kind with people that we don't live with. Yet the people that we love the most usually get the worst of what we do. And today, so as we wrap up our family series, I want to give you a couple of examples and reasons why you should pursue gentleness from God's word. Uh, Gentleness, by definition, is strength under control. Strength under control. It's not just kittens and puppies that are cute and be gentle. It's strength under control. Years ago, I had a weak moment of parenting when I allowed our kids to get a dog, and I've been paying for it ever since. And our youngest daughter at the time was probably around four, and she had more love to give than the dog was willing to receive. And so every day she would wake up and she would squeeze the dog so hard, and the dog would, as you can imagine, lose its mind and go after her. And so we would tell Reese, we'd be like, Reese, you gotta be gentle. You gotta be gentle. And even as a four-year-old, she had so much strength, but it was not under control because she wanted to show her love to the dog. And sometimes when it comes to even in relationships in our own family, we think we're doing the right thing. We're like, I love them, so I'm just going to smother them. And that's ended up feeling much like our dog did for most of its first year of its life. And so strength under control would say, okay, wait a minute, we're going to be gentle in every area of our life. How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Today we're going to take a look at that. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 is uh, Jesus's most popular sermon. And he states it this way, that blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Jesus talks about the low, those who are mourning. And then he goes and says, blessed are the meek. And meekness in our culture is associated with weakness. But it really, at least as the original term, meant very similar to gentle or strength under control. You could easily say this, depending on how old your translation of the Bible is, blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. What a powerful statement that Jesus said that those who have strength under control would be the ones that would inherit the earth, ultimately talking about the kingdom of God. Gentleness is to be the mark of every single Jesus follower. Yet, it's one of the more difficult things to do. Today, I want to talk to you about a culture out of the New Testament that was very similar to ours. 
And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and flip over to Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take the one in front of you. It's our gift to you. But in Titus, Paul is writing to Titus, who is actually on the island of Crete. And Crete would have been one of the more difficult places to have a church. And as Paul's trying to encourage Titus, this, you got to understand Cretan culture. Um, these were arrogant, proud people. They were actually, uh, Crete was a haven for pirates. You could show up as a pirate into Crete and just assimilate into the culture and you didn't have to pay for any of the wrong that you did. And so it's within that context that there's a church that's set up there. And many of the people that are a part of that church came out of that very selfish. They even admitted to themselves that they're lazy and they're gluttons. And that's the kind of people that were on the island of Crete. Well, Paul writes this entire letter to Titus there to try and encourage him because things were getting out of control in Crete. Matter of fact, earlier on in the book of Titus, it says that false teachers were running around ruining entire households by teaching them things that were contrary to the gospel. And what had happened in Crete has happened in our day as well, that they were being discipled by something other than Jesus. There is no shortage of information today because uh, many of us are discipled more by our favorite podcast or by Fox News or by what blog we read. And that's what we use to disciple ourselves as opposed to the word of God and what Jesus has to say. That's what happened in Crete. And it was ruining all these households where they thought they could go back to the way they lived before or that they were, in our culture, we think that if we're tough and if, we, if we're macho and if we stand up and we fight for whatever we're passionate about, that that is the most important thing. We fall into some of the same habits that the people of Crete did, and it's within that 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 Paul gives Titus a couple reminders that I want to give to you today, and hopefully reframe gentleness in light of God's word. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves for doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Paul gives Titus seven reminders to the people to give to the people of Crete. And my guess is they either forgot what they were called to, or... They simply just got busy living life. And if you put enough sinners in enough space and give them enough time, things are going to go crazy. And what had happened is, it seems, is that the people of Crete had kind of, they'd come to know Jesus, and then some people had kind of spread some things like, this is the way you should live, and they kind of fell back in to the way that they used to live. And so they became, once again, arrogant and disobedient and proud and abusive and, and lazy. And what Paul is telling Titus, he says, look, you've got to remind the people, and he gives them seven reminders. First off, he says, you should be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle to everyone. Maybe you and your family have ended up in the same way, that you know you should love each other, 
You know you should be patient with each other. You know you should be kind, but just generally the rat race of life, you're just busy and you don't have time for that. And so I think the reminder is for us too today. He starts out and he says, remind them to be subject to authorities and, and those in control because God has placed them in control. And certainly that's what we do, right? Whether it's our local representatives, whether it's the president, whatever, we are called to be subject to them because that's what God has called us to do. Not a popular statement in 2023, but that's how we're called to live. Uh, Kids, your job, your role is to be obedient to your parents. For all of us, we're called to be obedient to what God has to say. Once again, not a popular statement in 2023. We want to do what we want to do. He tells them to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. In a self-centered culture, it can be so easy to do what we want, when we want, without any thought to anybody else. And when you go home at the end of the day, it's even easier because those are the people that you're most comfortable with. And it's at that place where we deal with the real issue of gentleness, strength under control, recognizing of how we act and how we talk. And Titus says, look, this is the way that we've been called to do. Also to be peaceable and considerate. Considerate would be to to look at others' needs above your own. And then the last statement, the last reminder he gives them is to always be gentle towards everyone. Always, every time, every person, for every reason. Now, you can check in your Bible. Uh, I don't have it in mind. There's no, like, subscript at the bottom, like, if they do this, don't be gentle. There's no, uh, at least in my Bible, there's nothing, a qualifier for when we're gentle. It's always, and it's everyone, every time. So being gentle to everyone seems to include everyone, every time. And what is encouraging me about this is that this was the directive giving to this island people in Crete. And if that's what God wanted for them, then he especially wants it for our family. Yet, it's also one of the more challenging things to do. In verse three, it says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's been said that a commitment to follow Christ is a commitment to lifelong transformation. Right? And while it's very true that there is salvation that is available for each and every person that's here today if you've not experienced it. Right? And what God is calling you to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you would be saved. But that belief has to translate into some sort of change of lifestyle. It can't just be an intellectual assent. It can't be a prayer you prayed, an aisle you walked, a baptism you received. It has to be something that changes your life. And if it changes your life, if you commit to Christ, you're going to commit to a lifelong transformation. It's going to be very much like a roller coaster, a terrifying roller coaster, but in the end, you will end up more like Jesus. And what Paul is telling Titus at this time is he says, look, this is who we used to be. We used to be foolish. We used to be disobedient. We used to be arrogant. We used to be proud. We used to be not um, gentle. But when the kindness and love, verse 4, of of God appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit who he poured out generously on us all. This is the great hope of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ made a way for you to not only deal with all of your past, your present, but also your future. 
You know, God loves you enough. He didn't die for the perfect version of you. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners. So he died for the version of you like you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay there. It's, a, it's the hope we have for all of our kids, right? That you hope at some point they will figure this out and they'll move beyond where they currently are to where they might hopefully one day be. God thinks of you the same way. He loves you just the way that you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay there. And so he's going to challenge your thinking. He's going to encourage you to change your ways. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to accomplish those things. When you'll submit your life to him and let him direct and guide, anything is possible in regards to our spiritual life. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that our salvation is a gift. It's something we can do to earn it. And unfortunately, we've changed so many things in our life to a to-do checklist. Our salvation is not one of those, right? You look back in the gym, for God so loved the world, Give his one and only son that whoever would what? Believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That eternal life idea is great. Like we think heaven is awesome and it is. But he didn't just die for you to live in heaven one day. He died for you to live today. And one of the frustrations that we have is that we're so tired from trying to do everything on our own. In verse five, it says that he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Literally that idea that Paul says in Corinthians that the old is gone and the new has come. So what we gain in salvation is not only eternal life, but we also gain the capacity to be gentle and the capacity to love people and the capacity to do that. This is what gives us the great hope that we have is not just that we have salvation, but that it is allowing us to have the capacity to say yes to the things of God and no to the things of which of the way that we used to be. That's that idea of the rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We get the opportunity to do those things. So that, verse seven, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And then verse eight, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. How many of you'd say, yes, I trust and believe in God. Jesus Christ is my savior. Anybody, please? Or my job's got a lot harder this morning. Okay, great. Most of you. Awesome. If you can't say that, that's okay. God is calling you to trust him. And if you need help with that, I'd love to help you with that this morning. But for most of us, we're following Jesus. Read verse eight again. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that you who have trusted in God, that's all of us, may be careful to devote ourselves to doing what's good. So I don't know what your plans are for the week. You've probably got a meeting, a doctor's appointment, a party, I don't know. But I can tell you for sure, one thing that God wants you to do this week is to devote yourself to doing what is good because it's excellent and profitable for everything. So like I said, you have a long list of things to do, but for those of us who have trusted in God, doing good has to be at the top of that list. And specifically within our families, it's this idea of gentleness, right? We talked about patience and kindness and self-control over the past few weeks. And today it, we're gonna be talking about gentleness more in just a moment. Those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good for these are excellent and profitable for everyone. When you be careful, when you're being careful about something, you take your time to think it through. So like I went out to work in the garage the other day and started doing something and I'm like, wait a minute, I should put my eyeglass protection on so I don't hurt myself. I'm being careful. I'm thinking about it. 
in order to move beyond a, a selfish person who just does whatever they want, you have to be careful to evaluate and make sure that you're headed towards doing the right thing. That starts by not only thinking about it, but praying about it. And we're going to see that in just a second. And so for the rest of our time, I want to give you five reasons to be careful and to think through and ways to devote yourself to gentleness. The first thing that you'll notice is that gentleness, strength under control, is a choice. Gentleness is a choice. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, Therefore, as God's holy people and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He starts out and says, therefore, as God's holy people are dearly loved. And then what's the next statement? Clothe yourself. It's almost as if Paul is saying, God loves you, and what you're going to need to do is to put on some other things because you're not naturally kind or compassionate or gentle or humble. It's almost as a recognition of, of who we are as people that, look, God loves you like, he, like you are right here today. And if you've not been gentle or you've not been kind or you haven't been patient with your family, today's a new day and you can start over. He says, therefore, as God's holy people, dearly loved, clothe yourself. Gentleness is a choice. You've got to put it on in the morning because you probably aren't going to wake up. You've got to pre-decide. If I set my alarm the night before, and I lay out my workout clothes, and I put my water bottle next to my bed, and I have everything ready to go, the odds of me making it to the gym are substantially higher than if I just wake up and be like, okay, where am I? I'm stumbling through my room trying to find my clothes. I don't know where my water bottle is, and it's just not going to go well. You have to pre-decide to be gentle. It's a choice. I'm going to be a more gentle person. And when you make the decision to be gentle, it places it in your thoughts. The next thing you have to do is you have to actually pray about it. You're like, you get what you pray for, right? You want to be a more gentle person? Start praying that God would allow you to be a more gentle person. Now, here's the one caveat to this. If you pray for it to be a more gentle person, God is going to give you uh, circumstances to see if you're a more gentle person. So be careful with that one because that's coming. You got to pray about it, especially with your kids, right? You already have the advantage of you're smarter than them. Many of you are larger than them, right? You already have this size advantage and everything. Like, be gentle, be gentle. Strength under control. Gentleness is a choice. Number two, gentleness is a mark of wisdom. If you remember, wisdom is skill in living, right? And you're around long enough, you start to realize that it's not the brash, arrogant people that are getting things done and that people want to be around. It's the gentle people. It's the ones that have strength under control. James says it this way. He asked the question, who is wise and understanding among you? James chapter three, verse 13. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, depending on how old your English translation is of the Bible, you're going to see the last part of that says, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Some translations would say, in the meekness that comes from, from wisdom. And some translations will say that from the gentleness that comes from wisdom. And what the reason why that is, is a couple reasons. Uh, humility, meekness, and gentleness as a root word are very, very closely aligned. 
And as they've studied and understood language better, they've been able to say that, okay, meekness is a word that we don't really understand in our culture. Um, we associate meekness with weakness. And it's not exactly that, but it's also not exactly humility because humility is one of those things that's a byproduct of gentleness or it leads to gentleness. And so what James is saying is, look, if you're wise and understanding, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility or the gentleness that comes from wisdom. When you are able to step back from the big picture and look at everything as a whole, you're able to be gentle. When you're immediately reactive to a situation, you're probably not gentle. And in turn, you're also probably not humble, and you're probably also not meek. And so they're very closely related. When we stop and consider all the information and we make a decision of how to respond, that's the gentle response. That's the humble response. That's the meek response. So gentleness is a choice. Number two, gentleness is a mark of wisdom. Number three, gentleness diffuses conflict. Gentleness diffuses conflict. Proverbs chapter 15, verse one, says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I don't know if this is how it goes in your house, but here's what usually happens is you start getting your point across and then somebody raises it up and they're here and then the next person raises it even louder and then it just keeps going and going and going. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is, look, a gentle answer, an answer that is strength under control turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When this happens... Uh, I want you to try and lower your voice. It's actually a psychological exercise that you can do. It's a lot of fun. Um, the next time somebody's yelling at you, just be like, yeah, tell me more. Like, just bring it down and just, and just bring it down. Now, I can do this. I, I did it for years in sales. People would be mad, and I'd just be like, okay, sure. But when it's family, it's a whole other issue, right? And usually what happens at our house is one person's on this side of the house yelling at this other end of the house, and they're just screaming. And then you get to the middle, you don't even know what you're screaming about. You're just mad because nobody responded the way you wanted to. But strength under control, gentleness, would say, wait a minute, this is going to diffuse conflict. And this is the challenge of our culture, right? Everybody's mad about something. Everybody wants to yell about something. What would it look like for those of us who are Jesus followers with the capacity to be gentle, to take it down a notch, to be able to say, wait a minute, let's step back and have a mark of wisdom. I don't pretend to know how to do this real well, but I know it's possible. Number three, gentleness diffuses conflict. Number four, uh, gentleness filters our words. Strength under control allows us to filter our words, which comes from wisdom, which comes from the ability to take a step back and look at the whole picture. Proverbs chapter 15, verse four says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. My mom used to tell me when I was a kid, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Then my wife continues to tell me, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So apparently I have not learned my lesson in regards to this. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. You can speak truth in love and yet do it in a way that's winsome and attractive. If you look into 1 Peter, all of chapter 3 of 1 Peter is, is a mark of gentleness. What does he say? In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But what does he say? 
but do it with gentleness and respect. Strength under control and respect for the person. So look, we all ought to be willing to share our faith. I was reading this week that 80% of Christians think that you should share your faith, but only 15% say they actually do it. Right? It's something we all understand we should do, but yet we're all like, I don't know. I'm not sure. We're going to be providing some opportunities in September to help you out with that. But here's the key. Whatever you share, <laughs> do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. And what so often happens, because our words are so tightly wound with the way that we live our lives, gentleness allows us to, to filter our words. If you read earlier in 1 Peter, by the way, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about wives and that your beauty is actually not on your outward appearance, but it's actually a gentle and quiet spirit. That that's attractive. So not only can our words be attractive, but even literally our spirit and how we live, that's attractive. There's a reason that some of the most beautiful, sexy women in the world are on their third marriage. And they may think they have beauty and, and, and all that they need, but yet, and I'm not saying they're not gentle, they might be, but Peter says that that is what is attractive, who you are on the inside and how you respond to life on the outside. The last thing, oh, one more thing on gentleness, filtering our words. Um, if you struggle with this, like I do, years ago, I went to see one of our students play volleyball, and it was a great time. I was enjoying the game, and I looked over, and there's one particular mom with a sucker in her mouth, and I thought, man, she really likes those suckers. She is just going to town over and over and over again, and so I went over, and I said, hey, why, why are you into these caramel apple suckers so much? And she says, well, I know if I have a caramel apple sucker in my mouth, one, it gets stuck to the roof of my mouth, and then I can't say what I really want to say. And I was like, genius. And so maybe we all just need to pass around some suckers, right? If you have a hard time, you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, right? If it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So uh, it's just a tip that I learned years ago. It's probably the most profound 30 seconds of the last 10 years of my life is to put a sucker in your mouth if you can't say something nice. And it'll easily diffuse your words and you'll just be like one step closer to gentleness. Lastly, the last reason why you should pursue gentleness and I should pursue gentleness. Um, it's the heart of our Savior. It's the heart of our Savior. Uh, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says that Jesus could have described his heart using any potential word in the, in the language that he had. But how did he describe his heart? In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29, Jesus describes his heart this way. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If you're not a gentle person, Jesus wants you to come to him, the master of being gentle and the master of being humble. And what does it say? He'll literally give you rest for your souls. He could have used any word to describe how his heart or the character of his heart or what his heart was motivated by. And he used gentle, strength under control, and humble. Once again, those are so closely related. When we step back in humility, we're able to be more gentle. I think of every instance in the New Testament. Matter of fact, there isn't a single encounter in the New Testament that we see where he isn't showcasing strength under control. I'm gonna give you a couple of examples. You can probably think of, of any of the other ones, but two of them stand out to me. Number one, remember when they were selling things in the temple and Jesus gets a little bit upset about this, right? 
Now, I always had in my mind that he was like WWE style, like flipping tables and just going to town. I don't think that's what he was doing. I think he certainly turned the tables over. But if you read later in the passage, it says that his father desired for this to be a house of prayer, but you've turned this into a den of robbers. Jesus gets rid of what's in the way, like he so often does, so it can return back to what he designed it to be, which was a house of prayer, right? And but yet that's strength under control. And you may say, wait a minute, he flipped the tables. He was mad, right? Probably. Righteous anger, absolutely. But it could have been worse. He could have just walked in and killed them all, right? There was some self-control that Jesus exerted in probably one of the most contentious times that we have listed in all of scripture. The one that stands out to me the most though is when Jesus was on the cross dying for you and for me. Now, if and when I come to die here, if Jesus doesn't come back, we'll all die. I'm probably not thinking about you when I'm dying, but yet Jesus was thinking about you. Do you ever think about that? And he was thinking about the people, and what does he say? He's on the verge of death, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. One of the most profound statements that I think Jesus ever made, showing the, showcasing his heart. And just as he was willing to forgive those people, he's willing to forgive you. He wants a relationship with you, and he's willing to forgive you of anything that you've ever done. Once again, showing his gentleness. That's strength under control, to be on the verge of death and to care not what he needs or what he wants, but Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You go through every encounter in the rest of the New Testament. The time that he's, he shows up with the woman of the well, strength under control. The time that he meets Zacchaeus, strength under control. The time that he meets the woman caught in adultery, strength under control. And you go back through and read how our Savior acts and lived, and you're gonna see gentleness and humility over and over and over again. Here's the thing. Whatever Jesus has given and extended to us, he's calling us to give and extend it to other people, right? Whether it's love, forgiveness, kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control, whatever it might be. And so the reason that we would pursue gentleness is not just because I said so. Did you realize that over 6,000 times in Scripture, the idea of gentleness, meekness, or self-control is mentioned? It is everywhere. That should be the mark of our life. But yet, unfortunately for us, we hear something like this, and we go, okay, so what do we got to do this week? Give us the list. Like, how do we do this? Number one, just stop and admit that you can't do it on your own. That's a great place to start. Just admit that, God, I need help to be gentle this week. Probably first and foremost with my family. And hopefully you can figure it out in a public setting to where you can be gentle. Right? It's, it's, it's a re- an admitting of our reliance and need for the Holy Spirit to do this. Now, if you've been following Jesus for a long time and you say, I still can't do this. You may have to ask the difficult question of, are you really following Jesus? Because a commitment to following Christ is a commitment to transformation. And it starts the day you trust him as your savior and it goes all the way until you meet him face to face. But my guess is for most of us, that's not the case. For most of us, we got busy. We got involved in the rat race of life and distractions. And we just started with a, uh, a word here or an action there. And it just became the natural default of what we did. It happened in Crete and it can happen to us too. So just as Paul said at the beginning of Titus chapter three, remind the people, remind the people to be gentle. Jack LaLanne, near the end of his life, sat down with Elaine, his wife, which is fun to say, Elaine LaLanne, and 
They asked Elaine, they said, Elaine, your husband, he is nuts. Like, why don't you ever stop him from doing any of these things? And I I wasn't super familiar with Jack. I remember him on a commercial or something, but like he was always doing some crazy feat. And the reason he did this, he said, was to inspire other people that you could do everyday things. And I love that, that, that Jack, who actually was a Christ follower, is trying to inspire people that you can do this too. And that's what we want to do today, is to inspire you for not out of effort, but if you'll choose to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to do any of the things that God's called us to do. But they get to Elaine and they say, Elaine, why would you never confront and rebuke or chastise your husband for doing these crazy things? And Elaine thought for a second and the interviewer is kind of sitting there waiting like, why on earth would you do this? And Elaine looked at the interviewer and she said, I could never do that because I love him too much. Because I love him too much. My guess is you love the people that you live with too much to not try and be gentle. And if that's not enough of a reason, God loves you too much for you not to try and be gentle. So today I wanna give you just a few moments to evaluate your own life. And if you need help with being gentle, you can ask God for it right here, right now. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can ask him to show himself as real in your life right now. And if you've done that, then, then be baptized and continue to follow him. But if you haven't done any of those things, we'd love to help you with that. But for most of us, I think all we need to do is not write a list of how the five ways we're going to be gentle this week. It's just start today here at the beginning of the week on Sunday and ask for God to help us be more gentle. So we just want to give you a few moments to do that now, and then I'll wrap up our time in prayer. God, thank you for your word this morning that gives us so many examples, most of all Jesus, of what it looks like to be gentle. And God, everything that you've done for us, you call to extend to others. And so God, we know that's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit because given to our own wants and desires, just as Titus tells us that we too used to be that way. But God, by your goodness and grace through the sacrifice and love of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit, God, we can say no to the things that we used to do and we can say yes today to be more gentle, to be more kind or patient or loving or self-control. And so God, we have great hope, not because of our effort, but because of your promise. And God, I know that there are families in here who are struggling in the midst of great conflict and turmoil. God, I just pray that the peace of your son Jesus would wash over them today. God, for those here today that maybe don't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would see their need for you, that you give them the courage to to reach out to you or to come and talk to one of us here about what it means to follow Jesus. But God, for most of us today, we recognize that we need to be more gentle. And that only happens by your help. So God, I'm asking for my brothers and sisters and on behalf of myself as well, that God, that your Holy Spirit would remind us and bring this to our thoughts often. That God, that we would recognize that it's a choice, that it's a mark of wisdom, 
that is a way to diffuse conflict and filter our words. But most of all, God, thank you that that's the heart of our Savior. Help us to be willing to extend that same courtesy to others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.